0: good. He's good company. But anyway, Dennis said I didn't need no introduction, so anyway, it's good to be here with y'all always count. I've been looking forward all week when Dennis had called and asked to get to preach to you good folks and thank Dennis for the honor. Let me stand up here again. You know, we what a beautiful song. Sometimes it takes a mountain, sometimes a troubled sea. But sometimes what we think is the worst thing that happens to us It's what God uses to truly get a hold of us. For instance, in 96, after eight years of marriage, my wife said, I love you, but I can't live with you like this no more. And if you ain't going to change, I've had all I can take. And I come home one day and she took half our stuff and got her apartment and moved out. Nothing ever broke me like that in my life. Lost my dad. Took my spirit. I thought it was the end. Woe is me. But in the midst of that time, in August of 96, on August the 18th, my wife got saved at Lindsay Lane Baptist Church in Athens, Louisiana. I mean, Alabama. And she called me after about a month and said, I want to talk to you. I still love you and our problem wasn't you and all what you was doing, which was a problem. But we didn't have Jesus. And if we'll let Jesus... Come back into our marriage. I love you. By that time I was starting to get over that pain. And I was scared. (laughs) And I said I don't know about this. Well would you come to church with me. I looked at her at a table eating lunch. And said Jesus is for weak people. I tried that. That's religion. That's a crutch. I was lying through my teeth. I didn't really believe that. But I was just. But by November she got me to come to church. Went to a revival. And I want to tell you God got a hold of me. By December the 12th, we remarried. We were already divorced. I'll tell you, ain't that a blessed woman? She got to marry me twice, amen? (laughs) She moved back in our home, and it didn't even take by Christmas. I said, this ain't the same. I wasn't saved. I told her I was. I'd been baptized. I knew about Jesus. But when she moved back in the house, Jesus came in with her. And by January of 97, I came home from work one day after trying to do all I could to be a husband that honored God, that would love my wife the way she deserved to. And I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, I'm through. If you'll have me, here I am, what's left of me. And I got up a new man. And I can tell you that God can change any mountain. He can calm any troubled sea. He can take whatever your life is going through. And He can get a hold of you. And if God ever gets a hold of you and you get a hold of Him, life as you knew it is over. Amen? Amen. But you know, God is in the business of getting hold of sinners. Amen? Amen? But you know, even though we get saved, you know, saved people still sin. And I want to talk to us tonight a little while about something we don't usually think about. But it's a passage that comes out of the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that I want to read together. They don't want to preach to us tonight a sermon entitled, Do Not Despise the Discipline or the Chastening of the Lord. Amen. Now I want to be honest with you. This is not a sermon that, it ain't a, a passage of scripture you get up to in the morning and drink your coffee with <laughs> and want to read. <laughs> it ain't a passage you really want to preach. But when God tells you to preach it, you got to do what he tells you to do. Amen. But I want to tell you something. I don't imagine any of us here tonight was on the way to church saying, I sure hope the preacher rebukes me tonight. I sure hope he disciplines me and chastens me. I need a good scourging. But the Bible says in this text that God does that to every one of his sons. You know why? Because he loves us too much to leave us in our sin. Just like you care for your child, our Heavenly Father cares for his children. I want you to look at it with me right here. Start in verse 4 of chapter 12. The Bible says, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And it's referring to Jesus on the cross. You know, we may have tried to resist sin, but we have not resisted like we should. And listen what it says in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. We're all sons and daughters. God is our Father. And listen what this text says. My son, do not despise the chastening. Some translation says, the discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. Now, I don't know of anybody who likes to be rebuked. But it says, when the Lord takes His Word, not a person, but the Word of God, and it rebukes your spirit for things in your life that He says are wrong, don't be discouraged by it. Be thankful for it. And listen to what He says. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. He disciplines. And He scourges, unbelievably every son whom he receives. Now, when you look at a scourge, the way I look at it, growing up in my house, my little sister used to get spankings. Me and my brother used to get whoopings. We got scourging. Amen? There's a big difference. Now, she says it's because she was good. I say it's because she was spoiled. She was the youngest and the only girl. And so anyway, the Bible says that God whoops every son. Now, how many of us here has been to the woodshed and God's got your attention. If you haven't, listen what it goes on and says. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And this is a, a, a powerful verse. Verse 8. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not his son. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. And that's a word that this generation hates. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And he has that with a question mark. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit. See it's for our benefit. That we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. But painful but nevertheless afterwards. Look at this. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God, I don't know about y'all, but when I read that, I know I need it. But I have to tell myself in my spirit, the new man needs to like this. But my old man ain't happy about it. Now I want you to think about this with me this morning, this evening. Uh-oh, there we go. In the Bible, discipline has a positive and an important place in the lives of God's children. Throughout the Bible, if you read the book of Proverbs and read it through, it'll overwhelm you how many times it talks about being corrected, being disciplined by God, chastened. And guys, listen, this is why. Because, and I'm going to get through this right quick, and then we're going to preach. God has prescribed a certain way of life for His children. See, He's determined already how... He wants us to live and what he wants us to be like. Now I want to ask you, when you grew up in your home, did your mom and daddy already have a plan on what they expected you to be like? See, in Huey Cooper's household, it wasn't an option. It was his home. You're going to act like him. You're going to do what he says is right and wrong or they're going to be problems. You see, God's way is not an option. It's not a holy suggestion. It's a commandment. You know what it is? Look at this. In 1 Peter, the Bible says, and I have backed, as obedient children. Now, how many of you are happy to have disobedient children? I don't know of anybody that's ever come up to you. My daddy never comes. and said, son, I'm so proud of your disobedience. You just blessed me with that rebellious spirit, son. I'm so thankful. It brings me such joy when I see you act in such an embarrassing way. No. Parents want their children to be obedient. And God wants us to be obedient to Him, not conforming ourselves to the former lust as we did in our ignorance before we were saved. Now, before we were children of God, we naturally acted like children of the devil. We were of the world. Amen? We were ignorant of what God is and who He is. But once you get saved, listen to what His plan is. But as He has, has called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. It didn't say be holy in some of our conduct. It didn't even say be holy in most of our conduct. And it didn't say be holy on Sunday, amen. It said be holy, to be like God is to be holy. Of all God's attributes, holiness is the highest description of his character. His love is a holy love. His justice is a holy justice. His righteousness, his kindness, everything is trumped by the first thing of that. It's before anything he's holy. Amen. And he says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now look at this. And if you call on the Father, our Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now, God, he's not talking to, Christian, I mean to lost people. He's talking to those who call on the Father, who know him as his children, who's called us out of the world into a relationship with him where he wants us to be obedient children who walk in holiness. Amen. Now, guys, I don't know about y'all. That's an overwhelming thought. And I want you to look at this as we kind of get ready to get into this text. As God's children, we have to learn how to become obedient. Amen? And we had to be taught as children to be We must all be instructed and trained by God. Now, I want you to think of this. The process by which God's people learn obedience is the chastening. If you do a word study in the original language in the Hebrew literally means child training discipline. <laughs> and that's what that word literally means. And if you look, where the Hebrew writer got that from comes from the Old Testament Proverbs. And listen to what it says. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a Father, the Son, in whom he delights. Now, i got two questions I want to answer tonight for my sermon. And we're going to look at them. In Revelations, Jesus... So Some people, I know how some people are. That's that Old Testament stuff. We're in the New Testament. We live for Jesus. Yeah, look what Jesus said. Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The New American Standard says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. That word discipline can equally be translated as chasten. Those are words that our society has forgotten about. Now, what I want you to look at with me here right quick... Is these two questions. And I'm going to get to that where we can start preaching. Because this ain't working. Alright. The discipline of the Lord. How does the God rebuke you? And chasten those whom he corrects? And why does he do it? Now if you look here with me in our text this night. Listen to what the Bible says. And we're going to look and get into this text. And we fix fixing to get going here. He says... And you have forgotten in verse 5 the exhortation which speaks to you as to a son. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. And the Bible says that God's going to chasten everyone that's his because he wants us to be partakers of his holiness. He wants us, the end result, to be able to experience the peacefulness of his righteousness. And listen to what he says. He says, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Guys, when God... Is at work in your life when you're in sin and you're away from God. God loves you so much, He's not gonna let He's not up here tonight looking down on the ones of us who are way or we shouldn't be. Oh, what am I gonna do with them wayward people? Oh God, they just sin God's got a plan. And He's got a way to get your attention. You see, the first thing God does is just like when I was a kid, you get a verbal rebuke. He does it through the preaching of His word. It can happen from a preacher audibly teaching the Word of God. It can happen from you sitting down reading the Word of God. It can happen from someone who loves you, who can come to you and confront you with Scripture in truth and love and tell you. It can happen from the Holy Spirit just taking a Christian song sometimes. How many of you have experienced a verbal rebuke from God and when you heard that sermon, you knew you better listen? And there's a big difference. So listen to what he says. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Guys, if there's anything we don't like, we don't like to be rebuked. But guys, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes God does rebuke his children. Let me tell you, my mama is a prime example. My mama could look at you. And she had a look that could do it. Amen. And when she tell you not to do something, Brother Dennis, you'd be like at the store. We'd be showing out. We want this part. Can we have it? No, you can't have it. First time she just told you, you you heard it. Next time she looked at you, she said, you cannot have it. And son, you knew you better put it down and say, yes, (laughs) ma'am. You know what? There's some things in life that we can't have if we're going to be holy, if we're going to be obedient children. That honor our Father. But more than that, if we're going to have the life that God wants, that is going to exhibit and let us experience the peaceable fruits of righteousness because it's going to rob us of the life of God. The devil hates the life of God. He doesn't want you to experience the abundant life in Christ. He's constantly trying to steal, rob, and destroy everything that Christ wants to do in your life. And we're the ones who let him do it. Because he really can't do anything unless we let him. And so when we get away from God by listening to the lies of the world and the deception and the philosophies of the world, God will rebuke you. And I don't know about you, I'm thankful that he'll rebuke me in my sin. And friends, listen, he starts out, it's a verbal rebuke, a sermon, preaching. And sometimes he's telling you what you need to do. But guys, listen, he goes beyond that. When you don't heed that, God's not, well, I told him. I don't know what else to do. The next thing it says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines. Discipline is more emotional. Guys, listen. God knows how to get our attention. And friends, when you look at the scriptures and you look at what it teaches, the longer I walk with God, I'm no longer afraid of what God will do to me when I get away from him. I'm afraid of what he quits doing. Because you can't have a spirit-filled life and walk in the flesh. You can't live cornally for the world and live and participate in all the ungodliness of this world and experience all of the kingdom blessings of having Christ in your life, in his spirit, manifesting the fruit of God's spirit in your life. You won't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness if you consist to live in the flesh. For the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked, be not seen. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. If you reap to the flesh, you're going to receive from that. If you reap to the Spirit, you get what the Spirit So what does God do? Friends, listen, a lot of times we think God's up there going to punish us. God's up there loving us. Now, when my mom and dad used to punish me, they knew things that they could take that hurt me emotionally. Let me give you an example. When I first turned 16, I had a car, I had a 69 Mustang with a 289, and boy, I was so proud I'd drive it to school. Man, it was cool. Everybody said, oh, boy, boy, Marvin got him a 289, 69 Mustang. I used that car to skip school, didn't go to school. <laughs> we just decided, well, you know, we're going to go to Hammond Mall, 35 miles from Coden High School. We go to Hammond Mall. we playing in the mall, playing the video games, drive home, come back home. How was school today? Oh, it was good, Dad. How'd it go? Oh, just good old. Anything happened special? Just a normal day. Boy, we eat supper. He said, so you go to Hammond Mall every day. <laughs> Boy, I was about to throw up. He never said nothing. Next morning, he said, give me them keys. You riding the bus. You go from riding the bus and show up at school on the bus, from driving your... That's an emotional, disheartening thing. It embarrasses you. You ain't cool no more. I said, Daddy, that's my car. He said, not long as I'm putting the gas in it and paying the insurance. It's my car. And if you don't use it right, you don't get to have it. Guess what? When we misuse God's gifts, we lose them. How many of you figured that out? If you live in the flesh, you grieve the Spirit. You quench the Spirit. You can't have the joy of his salvation in all the pleasures of the world. And so what did David say when he got in sin? He said, oh, Lord, don't take away your spirit from me. Uphold, restore to me. He said, restore me, created me a clean Lord, and what did he say? He said, restore to me the joy of not his joy, your joy. Friends, listen, God's not going to let you experience joy. He loves you too much. He punishes us. You're not going to have the peace beyond understanding when you live in sin this preacher that I know named brother Malcolm Ellis said this and I wrote it down years ago I've never forgot it he said no saved person can live in a condition of habitual sinful behavior without spiritual consequences listen to that no saved person can live in a condition of habitual sinful behavior without spiritual consequences you know why we got a loving father that ain't going to let us he's going to discipline us he's going to show up he's not going to let us now let me tell you a true story there was this man at my church when I went to Why Not. And I'd been there about probably two years, three years. And in two or three years, he probably had four brand new trucks. He never could. He was like the Goldilocks of trucks. He couldn't get the perfect one. And they were all on him about quit buying new trucks. Quit. And he was blessed. Unbelievable. He had a, so he calls me one day. Preacher, I need you to come out to the house. I, I need your help. I just, I, I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, I bought a truck today. and I just have buyer's remorse. And I never even heard of buyer's remorse because I ain't rich enough to have it. And he said, would you come and, and sit? So I go, he said, bring your swimming trunks. We'll swim. He just got a new pool that summer. I mean, he still got the, the grass they sat down ain't even sprouted. And, and, and so we get in and we're in his pool. And I'm sitting here and he's got this mansion He's got a two car garage attached, and his wife's got a big old suburban um, Ford Expedition and a BMW. He's got a $59,000 truck. It's the third or fourth one since I've been there as the preacher. And my old truck is a 98 Toyota. It's got so many dents, it's dented up, it's got as much character dents as a dirt track car, a, a, a lake model. And I'm looking and saying, and we in the pool and he's oh woe is me I need you to pray for me preacher and then I'm looking around and he said I just need the Lord to help me I went to bring that truck back I didn't even get home with it and I knew I didn't need it that I didn't want it no more that I made a mistake would you pray that they would change their mind and let me bring this truck back and I'm sitting here I ain't got no mercy (laughs) in fact I'm getting mad I'm kind of knowing how Jesus felt when he had that righteous indignation. And I'm sitting here in the pool. And yeah, go ahead, brother. What do you want me to pray? Well, I tried to bring it back, but somebody else already bought my trade-in truck. And so I'm stuck with it. And on top of that, Christie's mad. I said, brother Wallace, I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to know before I pray this prayer, I love you. But I'm going to pray what you need and not what you want. And I said, Lord, you know Brother Wallace better than me. You know what he needs and you know what he wants. Help him to learn to be satisfied with what you give him and to rejoice in your goodness and set him free from the bondage of materialism. And I prayed some other stuff I don't quite remember. And boy, he was like, well let's get out the pool um, we, we put, swim time was over before Sunday brother Dennis this mug had a John Deere $10,000 000 zero John Deere $10,000 lawnmower and I told him I said Wallace before we left I said God if you don't learn to be happy with what you got he's going to take your stuff God is God brother you are a blessed man you need to learn to be satisfied Boy, I figured he'd probably gonna leave church. For Sunday, he calls us, Brother Marvin. It's happening. What's happening? God's taking my stuff. Come to the house. I need you. We go down there. We pass the why not fire truck on the way. They on their way back. He was on that big old lawnmower. God set her on fire, son. He starts smelling it. He, he panicked and jumped off and it turned it off and then he tried to jump back on and it wouldn't crank and then he run, got hoses. He's hooking hoses together. By the time he got them hooked together, he called 911 and said, I need help. They sent the fire truck. They just put it out. Right where you turn into his fine, beautiful, couple hundred yard driveway with a plank board fence, manicured, beautiful lawn, he center fire burnt. They wasn't nothing but the rims and black, iron and I'm laughing I'm laughing I can't stop and he's just standing there he said do you think God done this <laughs> I said I know he let it happen but it changed old Wallace he come to church he said I've got with I can't bring the truck back but I got with my wife and my mama and my stepdad and we formed an agreement this is true I have a covenant with them. I have a contract. I can't buy anything that takes borrowing money without consensus that's majority approved. And I'm going to drive that truck forever if that's what God wants me to do. And Stanley said this, and it was the best his stepdad. Because for the rest of that summer, all through that winter. And way up until the following spring, when you pulled in the driveway, the first thing you seen was a big old black burnt spot. And his daddy said, that's God reminding you every time you come home and turn in the driveway to be happy with your truck. Amen. <laughs> somebody in here might say, that's a coincidence. But well, you need to get saved if you think that's all it was. Because I don't know about you, I believe God causes things to happen that emotionally disturbs us so that He can completely heal us. And God is much more concerned with our holiness than He is with our happiness. Because when you're holy, you got something better than happiness. you got joy. Happiness depends on what truck you drive and don't drive. Joy depends on what God does in your heart. And God's at work training us teaching us through correction and discipline how to be obedient children and walk in his ways but you know it'd be bad enough to think he does that but you can't leave the text alone there verse six for whom the lord loves he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives if you endure chastening god deals with yes with sons For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? So not only does he rebuke every son, not only does he discipline every son, he scourges every son. Now how many of you seen the movie when Jesus was crucified? That right there when they took Jesus in that movie what was the name of it? I went blank. The passion. And they chained him to that thing and whipped him. That's what a scourge is. Brother Dennis has got a cat of nine tails he showed us one day. That's what a scourging is. Now, with all kidding aside, God doesn't physically whip us, but He will do things, apparently, when you look at Scripture that feels and reminds you of getting a whipping. Now, listen what David said. When David was in Psalm 32, and most people believe 32 is to do and influenced by the things that He did with Bathsheba when He was in sin and tried to cover it up. Listen what David says in Psalm 32, verse 3 When I kept silent, About my sins, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's what David felt like when he was acting like he didn't do what he did. And listen what he says. He says, not only did he feel like God's hand was heavy upon him day and night, but he says, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. His vitality, his spiritual energy, his spiritual life, that inner Life that gives us the ability to live under the anointing of God was gone. And he says this, I acknowledged my sin to you and I asked my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And you see, guys, you can't act like you haven't sinned and experienced God will whoop you. Now, how many of you have ever had a real good whooping? Man, when I was in Madisonville Junior High, between 5th and 6th grade, we changed principles. And, that, and nowadays, if a principal did this, it would be on social media, and it would what do they call it when it goes viral or something like that, and it would be bad. But listen here. We had Mr. Leroy James. I went to the same school. First to ninth grade, it might have had 800 kids. And we had Mr. Leroy James. We called him Lurch. Make fun of him nicest old man, gentle spirited. You could get over on him and we took advantage of him. Man, we used to, for sport, get in trouble to get sent to his office just to get out of class. We showed up after the fifth grade and we had a new principal. His name was Randy Tate. Randy Tate, boy, we got in trouble. We went to the office. There were so many people went to the office. He said there's too many people showing up in the office. So he came up with this thing. He called the 230 lineup and I got sent to the 230 lineup. It was about the second week of school. And when I went up at 230, I'm like, oh man, I'm getting out of last class. This is cool. All right, we all laughing. So we get down there the 230 lineup, was in the, the janitor's big old closet, big old custodian. And the line was going into the janitor's big old broom closet, all the way out to the hall, and about, I mean 30 of us out in the hall, we standing there. And all of a sudden we hear Whop! Whop! Whoop! Woo! Woo! And, man, grown ninth graders is coming out with tears in their eyes. And they're trying to look cool, but they can't. <laughs> man, you a fifth grader, you going, oh, God. I felt like I was on the line for the gallows pole, son. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm dreading it. I'm seeing people I look at that I think are tough, and they're crying. And when I went in there and ready to take, bet me over... He said, you get two today, you come back, you get four. What? Why, it didn't take but two to get my attention. Amen? I never was in the 230 lineup again. But guess what? When I went home, I didn't tell Daddy about the 2.30 lineup. You know, a lot of times you go home today, that kid's going to go home, they whooped me. Who whooped you? What that teacher whooped you for? The last thing I was going to do is tell my daddy that I got whooped by the new principal named Randy Tate. You know what? He wasn't going to be worried about Randy Tate and who whooped me. He was going to write, why was I in there getting a whooping in the first place? And guess what I got? Another whooping. Man, his times changed. When we used to do it like God, didn't we have a better place to live in? Didn't we have a better quality of life? See, God knows what he's doing. Why? Because we'll never be like him unless he does this. And my daddy said, you're going to live like Huey Cooper? You're going to act like Huey Cooper as long as you live in my house. Oh, I'm going to make you wish you wasn't here. (laughs) He used to whoop me. And he'd say, I love you. This is going to hurt you a lot more than me. And you're lying. (laughs) And he'd whoop us. I'm going to tell you one more story and we're going to close. True story. My daddy worked hard all his life. Get up. It was in the summer. I forget how old he was, but I had my best friend back in them days, Paul Pennington, spending in the night. And we was in the bedroom. We was cutting up. We was little, my brother, we slept in the same little old bed in the same room. And the rule was, whoever had company, had the other one had to sleep on the floor. So Greg's on the floor. I'm in my bed. The door's right here at the end of the hall. Paul Pennington was sleeping in my brother's spot in the bed. Daddy done come in there about two or three times. He said, if I come back in here again tonight, I'm coming in with the belt, and I'm going to whoop you two boys right in front of your friend Paul. So, boy, Daddy done come in. I mean it. So, boy, I heard him in there telling him, if I go in there one time, I'm whooping him. All of a sudden, boy, I told Paul, I said, I said Greg, my little brother said, you won't sleep in the bed, I'll sleep on the floor. Greg got in the bed, he told my friend Paul, you in my spot, move over. Paul, get in my spot. I'm on the floor. And I remember what we was doing to this day. We had Johnny West and G.I. Joe's up on the bookshelf shooting with a BB gun. At th- <laughs> and one of us shot the hat off of Johnny West. Pow! Oh, boy, all of a sudden, I heard him come down the hall, kick the door open, he come through, he never even turned on the light. He just went to whooping where he thought I was laying. <laughs> and my friend Paul was going, oh, oh. All of a sudden, he said, uh-oh, he turned on the light. He said, oh, Lord I, Lord, I don't whoop the wrong one. They moved on me. And by that time, Greg done rolled over that side, and we were both under the bed. He was grabbed us by the foot. We slept in our underwear, and, buddy, we got tore up front of Paul. Next day, Mr. Buddy Pennington come to get him. Daddy went out there, he said, buddy, they was a mix-up in them sleeping arrangements last night. And them boys was cutting up, and I had to whoop them, and I accidentally whooped Paul. He said, don't worry, Hughie, if he needs whooping, you whoop him any time. Paul never spent that at my house ever again. <laughs> and you know what? I just went down to a funeral a couple days, weeks ago. Lifelong friend lost his grandson. We went down there, and all the old Madisonville people was there. And here comes his daddy, Mr. Buddy. Hey, Marvin, how you doing? We wasn't even talking fine. Remember when your daddy whooped Paul? Yes, sir. (laughs) We laughed. Then I seen his little brother Blake. Remember when your daddy whooped Paul? You know, we laugh about it. Today, if you did that, do you know what would happen? Because society is so far from God's ways. Friends, listen. If you go to read through Proverbs, it'll let you know real quick that God believes in disciplining his children. And when you're disciplined by God, don't be discouraged by it. Thank Him for it. He loves you so much, He's not going to leave you in your sin. And friends, I don't know about you, I hate to admit it, but I've had to be whooped. I've had to be rebuked. But you know what? I'm standing here tonight, I'm able to preach, not because I'm good, but because He's good. Not because I'm as faithful as I ought to be, but because He's faithful. He does what He says. Friends, He might be working on you right now. You might be saying, Lord, I wish He'd leave me alone. All you got to do is obey Him, confess, and He will save you from that trouble. He wants to restore you. And so friends, tonight, I'm talking mainly to Christians. But don't stay that way because what He wants you to do is to experience and partake of His holiness. And that the peaceful righteousness will bless you. And you'll experience the joy of what it means to have him in your life. Friends, it's worth listening to our Father in heaven. Amen. So tonight I just want to pray for the person that's struggling. And I'm going to turn it over to Brother Dennis. But listen, if you don't know the Father, maybe you said, I've never been chastened. He loves you tonight. He died for you. You see, that verse right above that is talking about when Jesus died on the cross. Despise the shame shed his own blood because of our sin so that you can be forgiven certainly he will forgive you tonight the devil is going to tell you you can't come to God but you know what my daddy used to whoop me but as soon as he got through whooping me you know what he would do he would hug me and say I love you and at that time I didn't believe it but today I thank God for every whooping I've ever got and I thank God for what he does in our lives when he disciplines us so don't be discouraged by it just heed what He wanting you to do. Let us pray and Brother Dennis is going to come. Father, we just want to thank you tonight as the children of God that you watch over us with the care of a loving parent, personally involved in every life. Lord, our sins, just as David said, my sins are before you and no one else. You see them. Lord, they don't make you turn from us. They make you turn to us to help us. And Lord, sometimes that help is a mountain. Sometimes it's a troubled sea. But sometimes, Lord... It's a rebuke. Sometimes it's chastening. And sometimes, Lord, it's even a physical means to make us get our attention. So, Lord, tonight, for those that are in the hearing in this place, Lord, wherever we are, I pray that you would draw us back to yourself. And, Lord, for the one who doesn't know you tonight, help him to know that Jesus died for him on the cross. And that when we confess our sins, put our faith and hope in Christ and believe that he died, was buried and rose again and lives tonight to intercede on our behalf for the sake of sinners that we can be saved. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful blessings of your salvation and I ask you to use this for your good tonight in our lives. Amen. Amen.